when you use a second round pick on a guy and he's so bad that he can't he can't even get on the field, I think that's a major mark against you. So I do think I'm not sure that this is necessarily you're with the Jets need to make the playoff to win, but you need to feel a lot better about the direction of this franchise going forward. And I think that starts with a quarterback. You need a quarterback in there who goes in and gives you reason for hope in the future. That was John Butchko of Gangrene Nation from SB Nation, and this is the J Reels Podcast. What's up, people? How you making out? Feeling good? Hanging in? Hanging out? Hanging on? <laughs> well, let me be your little escape from the rigors of your day or even week as I set the table for another edition of the J Reels Podcast. This is your host, J Reels, so welcome or welcome back. Just yesterday, I posted episode 08 with Chris Flum of Big Blue View from SB Nation. We dug deep on everything pertaining to New York Giants who have the second pick in the draft, which is tonight, as I'm recording this on Thursday, April 26th in the year of our Lord 2018. So if you haven't listened, please go to the website at www.jreels.com or check it on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, of course, please subscribe, post a review, leave a comment, as that will just generate more interest in the podcast world and of course will attract more guests. Today, I'm delivering the Jets perspective as I talk to John Butchko from Gangrene Nation on SB Nation. We touch on all their offseason moves to date go in-depth on the top QBs of the draft and which one will possibly get drafted tonight. We'll also talk about how huge this pick is for GM Mike McCagnin's future, as well as discussing the coach's fate, Todd Bowles, on whether or not this could be his make-or-break season. Later, I'll chime in about Matt Harvey yet again, this time dissing the media after his poor performance out of the bullpen a couple nights ago in St. Louis, and a brief word on a New York radio legend coming back into the mix. But before we get to all that, here's my discussion with John Butchko from Gang Green Nation. Please give us a little background about yourself, how you got uh, involved with Gangrene Nation and uh, doing what you're doing now. Yeah, so we are coming up on our 10th anniversary of GangreneNation.com. Um, it's a great site. Uh, it's part of the SB Nation network. And about 10 years ago, I was fortunate enough to know somebody who was part of that network. And when they had an opening for the Jet site, he uh, gave me a recommendation. So, so, so it's, crazy, it's crazy to think we, we've been going on for a decade. And... Coming up on two-year anniversary, we actually have a daily podcast called Locked On Jets that you can subscribe to on iTunes and Spotify. So we, we actually go five days a week, which makes us unique. We're the only New York Jets podcast on every day, Monday through Friday. Oh, nice. Uh, you see, I wasn't aware of that, so that's great to know. So Jet fans, obviously you got to hop on and uh, check out uh, John's podcast. That's fantastic. Could you only imagine, John, if this was in Radio City of all years? It's a shame that the... They've taken the show on the road, whether it was to Chicago, Philadelphia, now to Dallas. But, boy, if there was one year that it needed to be in New York, it, this was the year. Well, if you believe that the past is an omen of the future, maybe not. Because, from what I understand, the year it was most electric was nine years ago when the Jets were in a similar situation when they were looking for a quarterback. And, of course, they traded up again that year Mark Sanchez. Right. So if you look at how that went, maybe – Maybe if you're, if you're a believer in Owens, maybe it's better than this thing's in Dallas. No, good call. Excellent call on that part. And I'm sure a lot of Jet fans will probably back you up on that. Before we get to the draft, the uh, transactions that have taken place up until this point, we'll do a little recap. Uh, we know the Jets had a lot of money under the cap. They certainly went out and got plenty of players, whether it was, uh, you know, at corner, Tremaine Johnson, uh, obviously Teddy Bridgewater, who knows if he's just going to be a stopgap for what we think would be the next quarterback in waiting come uh, Thursday night. 
Uh, Terrell Pryor was a surprise myself. I mean, obviously, he certainly has declined in the last couple of years, but I thought that, that was actually a good pickup. You know, they've done a lot of good things. Avery Williamson, you know, to anchor that linebacking core. Uh, your thoughts about the uh, Jet transactions and what Mike McCagnan's done, especially the trade with Indianapolis, which we can't go unnoticed, and what they've done so far up until this point. Well, I'll start with the trade. It was a trade that really caught me by surprise. I remember it happened on the Saturday morning, and right. it really kind of came out of nowhere. And if you recall, back at the start of the offseason, all the talk was about Kirk Cousins, and the Jets were very interested in him. As it turns out, it doesn't seem like Cousins had a lot of interest in the Jets, at least after Minnesota came came calling. Um, you know, if the Vikings hadn't gotten involved, maybe the Jets would have been in play for Cousins. But I think it goes without saying that in the NFL, you need a quarterback. Now, only having a quarterback, if you have a quarterback and nothing else, you're probably not going to go very far, but a quarterback is an essential component. So I think it's pretty clear the Jets traded up for a quarterback. In fact, I think I saw a report today that they've canceled meetings with projected first-round picks who are not quarterbacks. shows you where they're going. And oh, yeah. if you look at what they gave up, they gave up three second-round picks, which is a pretty big price to pay to move up three slots. I mean, second-round picks are tend to be pretty good value picks in the NFL. They're guys, you still have a pretty good shot at getting an impact guy, but those contracts are dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even even if the Jets hit on the pickup at three, the contract will be a good value, but they're still going to be paying a couple million dollars a year to that player, whereas you get into the second round, contracts become very cheap. You're talking less than a million, a million, maybe $2 million per year. So they're incredible value. But that said, a quarterback is worth more than three second-round draft. If you hit on a, quali- a quality quarterback, it's worth well more than that. So it's a calculated gamble. I think what it shows you is that the Jets uh, do think that there are three – at least three bona fide franchise quarterbacks in this draft because I don't see why you trade up to three if you didn't if you weren't guaranteed to get one of those guys. So I, a lot of people question the timing of the deal. People thought it was kind of early, but my perspective was if you look at some of the mechanics of some of these deals in the past, whether it was Washington trading up for RG three, the Rams trading up for Goff, Eagles trading up for Wentz a couple of years ago. Those deals tended to happen before the draft, and I kind of got the feeling if the Colts were dead set on trading down, they would probably wanted to do it before they got on the clock because once you get out to the clock, things can happen. Maybe the team you're dealing with gets cold feet. So I think I felt like the Colts wanted to deal that pick beforehand. So if the Jets really do believe that there are three bona fide franchise quarterbacks, I, thought, I felt like it's a deal they kind of had to make. Now, whether their evaluation is correct remains to be seen, but in theory, at least, I thought the deal made a lot of sense. I totally agree, and it was very shrewd of McCagnan to make that deal considering just all the things that you've mentioned. You know, it was almost unjet-like that they moved up knowing that they had their choice of three, maybe even four quarterbacks, depending on who they're looking at. And like you said, the timing certainly threw everybody off. I was certainly surprised. Like you mentioned, it was on a Saturday morning, and I, I couldn't believe they actually made that trade. It was almost the Jets. But that just goes to show you that not only I think looking at this as a business deal, knowing long-term they need to have that guy in the mix. But I would also think that with Mike McCagnan's job pretty much, I don't want to say it's on the line, but I would also think that this is going to be a defining trade and pick for his tenure here as a GM of the Jets. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, look, he's heading into his fourth year. The team has not had a lot of success under his leadership. They had a good first year. They won won 10 games, but – 
10 wins over the last two seasons, and the Jets' ownership has indicated they're going to be patient. But at a certain point, I think patience runs out in this league. There has to be more substantial progress going forward, and the most important aspect of that is they have to find a quarterback. You know, we're entering year four. Years one through three, you've had no indication that the team was anywhere close to finding a quarterback. I mean, you look at most of the games were started either by Ryan Fitzpatrick or Josh McCown, and Mm. all due respect to those guys, those are two journeyman veterans who – have bounced around the league, and they've bounced around the league for a reason. The two quarterbacks the Jets have drafted, Frank Teddy in the fourth round, McCagnon's first year, Christian Hackenberg in the second round, McCagnon's second year, Just uh, they just don't look like they're guys who are going to have much of a career in the NFL. Now, I think in the case of Teddy, it's a fourth-round pick that kind of took a flyer. You can live with that one. Hackenberg in the second round, when you, and again, I go back to the value of the second-round pick. Right. You look at some of the players that come out of the second round, when you use a second-round pick on a guy and he's so bad that he can't, he can't even get on the field, I think that's a major mark against you. So I do think McCag- – I'm not sure that this is necessarily a year where the Jets need to make the playoffs to win, but you need to feel a lot better about the direction of this franchise going forward. And I think that starts with a quarterback. You need a quarterback in there who goes in and gives you reason for hope in the future. And that's an absolute must. And interestingly enough, when you mentioned Cousins before, were you pro-Cousins coming here and not drafting a quarterback, or you were dead set on having that quarterback come into the mix and have him grow with the organization and obviously be here for a decade? If you ask me would I take Kirk Cousins to start as my team's quarterback, the answer would be yes. Hmm. If you're asking me would I have paid Kirk Cousins around $30 million a year, the answer is probably no. Right. I, I like Cousins. I think he's a quality starter in this league. But, of course, this is a league with a salary cap. And when you're paying a guy $30 million, he needs to be able to carry the team on his back because there are just certain positions where you're not going to be able to fill because you're just not going to have enough money. So you've you got to have like a Brady or a Rodgers or you know, somebody of that nature where you know that they can carry the roster. You know that they can make up for a lack of talent in other positions. I'm not sure Cousins is that guy. So... I would understand. I understand why they were interested because you need a quarterback, but I think the cost for Cousins just would have made it prohibitive. No, of course, as you've seen on several other teams, whether it's David Carr with Oakland, who comes to mind. Uh, you know, when you hamstring your cap, and I understand. Hey, you said it. Everybody would say it. quarterback is the most important position uh, in the NFL. But when you do that, you look at New England and how they've been successful all these years. You know, Tom Brady isn't making thirty million dollars a year. So, and I understand they do it the Patriot way, but. I totally agree with you on that point. You know, $30 million for a guy who's certainly going to make the team credible, but at the same time, certainly not going to bring in those top defensive players or other offensive pieces that's going to complement a guy like Cousins in the fold. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I know Brady is not making $30 million a year, but I think he would be worth it. If it came down to it and the Patriots had to decide, do we pay Brady $30 million a year and not have him? That would be a guy it would be worth it for because he's a difference maker. You know, you can live without bringing so much value to the table that you, you can live without quality at certain other positions. Right. So, and, and that's a great point. I mean, it is, it is a bargain, but that's the type of guy I think you pay $30 million for. If, yeah. if, if your choice is either I get this guy for $30 million or I don't have him, Brady is the guy you take. I don't think Cousins is. Now, uh, this morning there was a report that the Browns, and we all know the Browns are unpredictable, so you don't know where they're going to go, if it's a smokescreen, if they mean business, uh, or there's the rumor about him possibly being chosen by the Browns come uh, Thursday night. And we all know that the Jets could go anywhere, but a lot of the talk has been around Baker Mayfield, especially in the Jet camp. Uh, Do you think there's a backup? Do you figure that they're dead set on 
drafting Baker Mayfield or is there somebody else that's in the mix, whether it be Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, or whomever else would be there at three? See, my question is this. is You're, you're absolutely right. Is that All the buzz has been around Baker Mayfield. And as is always the case around this time of year, who knows whether it's a smokescreen. Maybe the Jets are just saying that because they like somebody else. But mm-hmm. if they don't love Baker Mayfield, they've done a heck of a job. You know, they've done a heck of a job hiding it because all you hear about is Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield. Right. Now, that said, I wonder if the reason you've been hearing that is that they've just assumed Sam Darnold would be off the board this whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, I can't speak to the to what the Jets' actual board looks like, but I think most of us going through the whole offseason have just assumed that Sam Darnold would be the number one pick by Cleveland. So if Cleveland picks Mayfield one overall, does that mean Darnold falls to the Jets? And I think in a lot of ways the Giants hold the keys to this draft right now because they, they could go in any direction. I mean, they could draft a quarterback. Eli Manning's obviously pretty old, so they're going to need to replace him. Maybe you know they could do it this year. They don't have to. So they could be in the mix for a quarterback. They could trade down, or they could just decide, you know what, we're going to make one more run with Eli, and maybe they draft Saquon Barkley. Maybe they draft somebody who they think can help push them to another run with Eli. So I think there, there are lots of question marks right now. But I think the thing that's interesting is that we've gone through this whole offseason, and I've never had the idea that, that Darnold would even be available to the Jets. So I wonder whether the Jets may have, Darnold as their number one guy, and it just felt like Mayfield would be the number one guy who would be available to them. And that's the fascinating thing. And you mentioned the Giants being the wild card in all this because any other team, whether it could be Denver, that they could swap with them. Denver, of course, is at number five right now. They can move up to two if they trade with the Giants. A lot of talk about Buffalo, maybe even leapfrogging the Jets because they're looking for a quarterback. And could you imagine if they had their sights set on Baker Mayfield and let's just say for argument's sake, right, the Browns, if they do take Donald, but then just so happens they either trade up the, the Afro, those aforementioned teams, they trade up for Baker Mayfield or even worse. Let's just say the giants decide to go with Baker Mayfield, because like you said, Eli Manning, 37 years old, uh, you never know. They could go in that direction. What do you think the jets will do at that point? If both of the guys, if they have targeted, especially Mayfield, if they're not on the board, of course they're going to take a quarterback, but it's almost as if they have to settle for either Rosen Allen or dare I even say Lamar Jackson. I really like Lamar Jackson. Oh, is that I don't right? think oh. he's he's on the team. Yeah, I do. I like him. I think he, you know, I think he a lot. I think he's underrated, and I think people underrate his uh, ability as a passer. I, I feel I see him doing a lot more complex things than people realize when I watch him at Louisville. But that said, I don't think he's on the table at three. I think, and this is just I, I don't know. There there was there was a lot of buzz around the Jets and Josh Allen during the season, and that's really died down since the season ended. My guess is that it's going to be one of the three of Darnold, Mayfield, or Josh Rosen. And I don't have anything solid to make me feel that way. I just think that if you look at what happened with Christian Hackenberg, the Jets kind of took a flyer on a guy who was not that productive in college. They took him based on his tools, and that really has not worked out. And I think in a lot of cases, teams remember Teams remember it when they try something that doesn't work out, and they try and they try and do the opposite. So, I don't. Know, maybe I'm wrong on this. And you know, we could you, people could be playing this next week and laughing at me because I'm totally wrong. But I just have a tough time picturing the Jets drafting Josh Allen right. after the Hackenberg experience. And in some ways, I think that's not fair because I do think Allen's a better, more promising prospect than Hackenberg was. I see a lot more redeeming qualities in Allen than I did in Hackenberg. Two years ago, there were, there were two guys I did not want the Jets to draft, and one of them was Hackenberg. Mm. 
Allen, I, I think three would be a little rich for him, but I see more redeeming quality for him. That said, I think if Mayfield and Darnold are the first two off the board, my guess is Rosen's the guy. And if you had your choice, now I understand it depends on what Cleveland and the Giants are going to do, but if you had to rank the four quarterbacks to your liking, how would you rank them? I think that there's the top two. The top two guys to me are Darnold and Rosen, and I think that for me, this is, and this is just me, and I know everybody's got their own board. Right. For me, it's Darnold and Rosen are the top two, and then I think there's a big gap between uh, Allen and Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now Rosen's the better of the two, but I think Darnold has more upside. I think Dar- Darnold has more playmaking ability. Uh, he's more mobile. So I, I probably would take Darnold. I think that they're close enough, even though I like Rosen a little bit. I think Rosen's a little more refined right now. I think Darnold's upside is higher. That would make me take him. Um, I think Allen and Mayfield are both bigger wild cards. Uh, Allen, we talked about his, you know, the, just the production. The thing about Allen is, like, if you watch him, if you watch his highlight videos, there are plays where the guy looks like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, and I know everybody looks good on their highlight videos because it's a compilation of the guy's best plays. Yep. But I mean, Allen makes some truly breathtaking plays with his, you know, just his athleticism, his arm. I mean, when he looks good. He looks like Aaron Rodgers. The problem is that when he looks bad, he looks like it's the first time he's ever thrown a football. I mean, he's, he, I mean, he has way too many throws that are just like not even, not even within you know five yards of the receiver. Um, so I mean, Allen is the very definition of a high ceiling, low floor. Um, as far as Mayfield goes, I'm not as high on him as a lot of Jets fans are. And he, I think he's the most popular. If you have the fan base as a whole, it seems to me like he's the most popular quarterback, the most popular prospect there is. And I mean, look, there's upside. I mean, there's no doubt that this guy was a great college quarterback. He was prolific in college and he was a walk on who went on to win the Heisman trophy. So Clearly, he's got a great work ethic. So I'm not saying that Mayfield can't be a great pro, but I think if you look at that Oklahoma offense, I have questions at how much of the heavy lifting he was doing. Um, you know, I think one of the things you go back to Mark Sanchez that, in retrospect, was a pretty big red flag was the percentage of throws that he made where his receiver had, like, no defender within three yards. And Oklahoma had a great offensive scheme. They had some talent on that unit. So, I mean, I think in a lot of instances that system helped make Mayfield the system helped Mayfield out. It made his job easier than the other guys had. So I think that you know, I think Allen and Mayfield both carry more risk to them. I think all four of these guys have some degree of risk. I think Darnold has does have some mechanical flaws, even though they're not as pronounced as Allen. Rosen, you wonder about his injury history. He's been banged up quite a bit. Um, and then Allen, you know, you just talk about consistency. His mechanical issues, I think, are much more pronounced. Lots of footwork concerns and Mayfield it's just can he function where he has to do more in the NFL so I think that's where I'm at if I had to rank them I'd say Darnold one I'd say Rosen two and you know Mayfield Allen I think it's you could probably yeah I see they, they both have strengths and weaknesses that are very different so it's difficult to quantify I guess I'd go Mayfield three Allen four mm. and if the Jets do happen to draft Mayfield Forget about the height, because obviously you know he could be a big-time player, but does the -the off-the-field stuff scare you as a Jet fan? You know, I've given up trying to figure that stuff out. (laughs) I I always say I just I can't. I'm not qualified because you know I remember I go back. You go back two decades. There were all these off-field worries about Warren Sapp, Mm -hmm. and they turned to that. They turned out to be not very well-founded. Sapp ended up going to the Hall of Fame. 
you know, there were all these concerns. And then you look at a guy like Johnny Manziel, and I remember thinking at the time, well, that stuff's overblown, and it ended up being pretty, you know, uh, pretty big issue. So I've given up trying to figure this. I, I mean, I'll tell you, my hat's off to these personnel guys. I, I don't think I could make it if my job depended on figuring out what these, you know, 20, 22 year old guys are going to do once they make millions of dollars, how they're going to respond to it. So my guess is as good as anybody's when it comes to that. I'm not trying to you know, evade, no. evade giving an answer. I just don't know. You know, I mean, I think there are people, I think the scouts know, so I trust the teams more than I trust myself. But I mean, the information we have, I just think it's so tough to make a prognostication on stuff like that. No, and that's an excellent call there, John, because obviously that would be the one worry for the Jet fan because you, you just look in this backyard. I take Matt Harvey. I understand different sport, but we saw his meteoric rise in that first year and all the attention, all the off-the-field stuff, which I could care less about, but obviously it does factor in because when it gets to your head and you have all this attention and the spotlight's on you, and then the next thing you know, one false move, you know, page six, whatever it may be, and then it's just going to spiral out of control. And with a guy like Mayfield, who obviously has that, I'm not going to compare him to Johnny Manziel, but, you know, he has his own swagger that he brings, you know, to the table. And you just kind of wonder if the bright lights in the big city, as much as he could eat it up, could it also swallow and spit him up at the same time? And, you know, it's one thing if it's like a wide receiver or, a, you know, defensive lineman, but the quarterback is the leader of your team. He's the guy you're building around. So you need that guy. You need to be able to trust that guy. That's what I would say. I think, I think as much as anything, it's not just some of the concerns. It's, it's, is this guy going to be capable of leading your team? And with Mayfield, perhaps it is because, you know, you go back to the Oklahoma program, it seems like everybody around there loved him. Yeah, and, and listen, I understand that that would be a popular pick among you know amongst the Jet fans, just like you mentioned earlier, and uh, I'm sure they're going to be shouting to the heavens. And I, it's tough because we don't know what these quarterbacks, like you said, they all have flaws. Uh, they all bring a lot to, you know to the table table as far as you know what their resumes are concerned. But that's the one thing about the draft; it's all a crapshoot. And I would only hope I'm not a Jet fan, but I would only hope for their fans and for their organization just to kind of get them back to some sort of relevance. Uh, that, that I hope they make the right pick. I hope whomever it is that they choose, whether it falls in their lap or it's the guy that they've targeted, that they happen to bring them success here from uh, for the next decade or so. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's amazing. I mean, there have been a few isolated, really good seasons for this franchise, but in a lot of ways, they still have been looking for a franchise quarterback since Joe Namath. Yes, absolutely. Amazing. All right, a couple last quickies from me. Uh, one thing about the coach I'm curious to find out, is Todd Bowles in any trouble to you? I understand he signed an extension, uh, so he's not going into the season as a lame duck. But considering that if the starter, whomever that may be, whether it be Josh McCown, Teddy Bridgewater, or even whomever they draft here in the first round, again, it's still a little bit too early to tell, but do you think that there'll be any trouble if he goes into the season with whomever is starting at quarterback and they end up another 5-11 and or 6-10 and type year? Here's what I'll say is I think it's not so much the record as – how they get to the record. Now, I say that with the caveat that, you know, they go 2-14, and 14, he's oh, in yeah. a lot of trouble. But I think, you know, just look at the NFL last year. I think there was a very big difference between the way the Jets went 5-11 and 11 and the way the San Francisco 49ers went 6-10. and 10. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if the Jets go 6-10 and 10 with McCown under center and the rookie can't get in there or the rookie gets in there and struggles, then I think, I think the quarterback in particular, has, his performance will dictate a lot of that. Because if the rookie goes in there, it goes in there and struggles. I think that the Jets' philosophy will be based around: we need to get bring in a guy 
who's better with quarterbacks who can help the rookie out. Whereas if you have a season like, say, the San Francisco 49ers did a year ago, and I understand it's a little different because they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, who had a few years under his belt sitting under Tom Brady in New England. But if you have the type of year where your rookie quarterback goes in and the team struggles a little bit early, then they catch fire near the end of the year and the rookie quarterback starts looking great and you feel really optimistic going forward, then I think Bowles would definitely be back. So I think as much as it's about the record, it's about how you arrive at the record. And I think the biggest barometer will be the performance of the rookie quarterback. Mm. And lastly, uh, who do you think that the Jets draft around, I guess, maybe 830 on Thursday night as their uh, number one pick this year? Well, I think, as I said earlier, if, listen, this may be a smokescreen, but the Jets have, if the Jets do not pick Baker Mayfield, I think it would be one of the great smokescreens of all time. <laughs> it just seems like all the buzz is around him. And ultimately, I do think that the Browns are either going to pick Darnold or Allen. Hmm. And I think Darnold will be off the board by the time the Jets uh, pick either way. So I think it's going to be Baker Mayfield. It just seems like the natural fit. And, and you know, now that I just think about this, could you imagine in a way to screw the Jets, if the Giants actually trade back, we'll say, with Denver, and Denver has their eyes set on Baker Mayfield, could you imagine what that would be like? When uh, Dell goes up to the podium and he says there's been a trade, and then next thing you know, Denver's on the clock and they choose Mayfield, if that's the guy that they were looking for? I mean, that would talk about the ultimate twist and turn of an NFL draft, I tell you. If you are an observer of this franchise, if you've been following the Jets franchise uh, for a long time, I mean, could you expect anything different? No, absolutely not. I tell you, it's certainly not out of the, uh, the realm of possibility. All right, John, so uh, anything you want to plug? I, obviously, you have the podcast, of course, the, uh, you know, the Gangrene Nation. Anybody that wants to get in contact with you or follow you on Twitter, please, where can they find you at? I'm actually, I actually don't have a personal Twitter account, but oh, our website that. is uh, at Gangrene Nation. Yeah, I, I've, I've stayed off Twitter. I just, I, I, no, no offense to anybody there. It's just not really my thing. Oh, no, understood. I totally understand. And, uh, hey, that's perfectly fine. So, obviously, just go to Gangrene Nation. I'm sure they're going to have, from pillar to post, all the coverage of what's going to shake down there on uh, Thursday night down in Dallas. And, John, once again, I appreciate a few minutes tonight. And uh, we'll be watching come Thursday night. Sounds great. All right, I want to thank John for all his input and participation to the podcast today. Very interesting stuff from him in regards to this pick and more importantly to the organization as a whole, there's no secret that the Jets have moved up three slots to select a quarterback, and all that matters is which one will be standing at number three. The fascinating thing, as we've talked about on this podcast, as well as the podcast prior to with the Giants and Chris Flum, is could the Browns select Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield with the first pick? What about the Giants? Could they actually pass on a QB, knowing that Eli Manning's approaching the 18th hole of his career and choose Saquon Barkley or even trade down? Uh, That would leave the Jets with Sam Donald or Josh Rosen, Two guys that, for all intents and purposes, could be ranked number one and number two as far as quarterbacks in this draft. So it's going to be interesting to watch it all unfold. Now, barring an upset selection or something wacky happening at the top of the draft, I'll post an emergency podcast to analyze the potential of something wild taking place. Uh, As we know, you can't trust what the Browns are going to do, because they are the Cleveland Browns. And who knows if the Giants end up trading the pick. So all the buildup, discussion, speculation, rumors, all that finally comes to an end tonight. I can only imagine what the ratings in New York will be for this, but uh, then again, with ESPN, the NFL Network, the Internet, and wherever else this is being broadcast, it'd be hard to calculate how many people are watching because it's not as if one network is carrying the event. So who knows? Uh, But I'm sure the rating would be astronomical considering with the Giants picking two and the Jets at three. Now, if I had to take a guess, 
The top three picks tonight would be the Browns would take Sam Darnold. I'm going to say the Giants pick Saquon Barkley for whatever the reason because it's tough to say they're going to trade the pick, but at the same time, I think they just want to add that running back element into their offense. And, of course, you can't predict whether or not they're going to trade it. So, And with the third pick, I'd select Josh Rosen. You know, just from all that I've heard, I think the Jets will pick Baker Mayfield, though. So that would be my prediction. I think that's who they've targeted. I'm sure they're a bit cautious about Rosen's medical history with the concussions and all. But personally, I don't think you could draft that way. But be that as it may, I think Mayfield will be wearing the green and white come training camp. So those are my top three picks that I'm predicting to take place tonight in Dallas. Back to Matt Harvey. If you heard my last podcast about Matt Harvey's demotion to the bullpen, I'm sure you get a little bit of a taste of where I feel as far as where he's at in his career. But now it's become really sad to see that it's boiled down to this. And I'm not talking about his performance on the field, which speaks for itself. It's his professionalism in the locker room that really has to make you shake your head and wonder if he'll ever get it. You know, it's not as if we're talking about a 22 or 23-year-old kid. He's 29 years old. And now he's pitching for his baseball life. His reaction to that New York Post reporter yesterday asking what did he think about his relief performance the night before in which he did not face the media. He actually let poor Thomas Nito, the catcher, be the spokesperson for his two-inning stint on Tuesday night, which was not good. Harvey said, no comment, and when asked why, his response was, I don't effing want to. Are you serious, my guy? You know, two things about this. As much as you don't want or maybe like the media, it's part of your job. Is five minutes with the media really going to make you that sick? Is it going to get you so out of whack that you certainly just don't want to be bothered? And I understand body language, facial expressions, that's going to give it away, but we're just listening to these sound bites. So you know what? Even if you're standing in front of your locker with a face or you definitely have an attitude, you could certainly be very mechanical, come across as very simple and certainly not engaging, but at least answer the questions. You know, you don't want to pull a Marshawn Lynch, but at the same time, just answer the questions, take five minutes, and that's that. It's as if you can't man up to your ineffective and pathetic nature, not just on the mound, but even as a professional in the locker room. And worse, you can't even admit that you were once bulletproof in this town to now being a has-been. You know, what do you think? You're still the Dark Knight? You you think you still have this persona? You know, if you don't like it, you know, ask to be traded to Tampa. Play for the Rays where there's one newspaper and the team's going nowhere. How about showing some humility? Show some professionalism. More importantly, show some guts. Not just on the mound when things are going bad, but in the locker room when it's time to face the heat. And secondly, I hope Mickey Calloway and Sandy Alderson intervene if they haven't already. You know, because what's next? You know, he's not going to show up to another game just like he did last year in that Marlins series at home in early May. Is he going to skip out of town without a trace? Is he going to bail on his teammates yet again and then turn a blind eye, not because of who he is, but because of who he once was? You know, they can't play nice with him. You know, they're going to have to sit him down. They're going to have to tell him that, hey, kid, we're going to ride this sucker out. We all know he's gone after this year, and I'm sure he can't wait to walk out of the clubhouse at City Field for the last time and never come back. You know, but that's for the end of the season. Hopefully in late October, holding up a World Series trophy, which would be, (laughs) do I even need to get into that? But until then, Matt, just do what you need to do to get yourself back in the rotation. Be a good Boy Scout. Man up to what you're supposed to do. Because all you're doing is hurting your cause, not just this year, but for any potential team that will want you next year and beyond. I'm sure he hasn't thought that far in the future. But then again, you know, he is the Dark Knight. And for anyone out there who does what I do, 
on the radio or podcasting, one of the pillars who've paved the way in this industry is Mike Francesa. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that I love Mike. I was that guy that had to tune in at 105 to hear his take on what happened the night before, whether it was a big game, a trade, etc. You know, we all know that he retired after 30 years of being on WFAN on uh, December 15th of last year, but news broke on Tuesday about his return to WFAN, stating that he missed being on the air. There have also been rumors of people at the station saying that there's no chance that he'd come back, only to have his ego get in the way to say, oh, well, I'll show them. It's also been reported that he went straight to the president of Entercom, which owns WFAN, to discuss a deal and not include station director Mark Chernoff of his return. How I look at it, that reeks of someone who gave up their spot on his own volition and now wants it back and will do it, in the immortal words of Malcolm X, by any means necessary. Now, my question to Mike is twofold. What happened to these so-called other opportunities that you couldn't discuss within the first 90 days after retirement? You know, whether he talked to Salicata, whether he talked to Bill Simmons on his podcast several times, you know, he kept it hush. Was that just a smokescreen? Was that just bluster? Was that just a ploy or a plot to somehow, some way, after the football season, especially after the postseason that they had, that, oh, this is maybe my chance to come back to WFAN? You know, from what I read, the money wasn't going to be close to what he made when he was at FAN, and he's taking the significant pay cut as it is, returning back, which is rumored to be as early as Tuesday, May 1st. And he knows the business. He's been around forever. I'm sure he knew he wasn't going to be paid anywhere close to what he received at WFAN. But again, it goes back to the opportunities. He always said, if you love what you do, then it doesn't work. And I get that he, just like all of us, wants to get paid. But if he knew that that was the case with the other quote-unquote opportunities, then he should have never even brought them up in the first place. Number two is, why go back to WFAN? What happened to been there, done that? What happened to, hey, I've been in this chair for 30 years, let somebody else get a crack at it? You know, and you were just there four and a half months ago. And, you know, as much as he was right in not discussing the team who replaced him in Chris Carlin, Maggie Gray, and Bart Scott, why does it seem as if it's his right to go back and, in essence, steal the spot that he, on his own will, gave up? You know, I'm not fans of CMB. I haven't listened to 20 minutes of them since they've taken over for Mike. But that is absolutely wrong of him to make a power play like that. And this story is just the beginning, as I'm sure upon Mike's first show, which is rumored to be from 3 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. during the baseball season, and then 3 to 7 once the Yankees finish their season, he's going to have to explain in great detail everything that I mentioned above. Why? Because he owes us that. And if FAN did persuade him to come back for some shape, way, shape, or form, because they've taken a hit in the afternoon drive time slot, that now Michael K. show on ESPN was ranked number one over FAM for the first time in eons, you know, then that's on them. But as we know, he went over, from what's been reported, the station director Mark Chernoff and went straight to the president. I doubt that the president called him up and said, hey, Mike, any way we can entertain you to come back to the station, even if it's just for, you know, two and a half, three hours, whatever it may be, then that's on them. But if Mike, quote-unquote, missed being on the radio or developed FOMO, fear missing out, and felt that FAN was his safety net, knowing that he could go right to the top and ask for his old job back at half the cost, then it sounds like a man who never should have left in the first place. And in the process, allegedly flexed his muscles to prove a point to those who said he couldn't come back to the fan while not taking into consideration the people who replaced him or the station director from whom he worked with forever, is a reminder that his famous back after this would be apropos 
to clean up the mess that he'll need to explain on his first show at 3 p.m. sometime in the near future. But boy, it better certainly sound plausible because if not, this is a story that's going to go on for days and weeks to come. All right, before I sign off, people, goes without mention that your support is certainly appreciated. And if you can, please subscribe to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher I'm working on. Uh, seemed to be uh, an issue with Stitcher, but you could get a lot of my previous episodes on there. But I would think before the weekend, I'll get that back up and running. Also looking into possibly Spotify or even iHeartRadio. So just keep that in mind. I'll certainly keep you posted with that. For any information regarding the program, you could go to www.jreels.com. For any information regarding future guests, which I hope to get JD on maybe perhaps sometime this week or before the weekend. Uh, and a couple other players that I mentioned in the previous podcast. All you have to do, go to the podcast app on your phone, hit that, search the J Reels podcast, subscribe, leave a review, a rating, post, whatever. It will be greatly appreciated. As you all know, I've said time and time again, the more that the show is out there and it's visible in the podcast universe, the more interest that it will generate. And on top of that, more importantly, it will attract more guests. You could also send me an email if you wish, any comments or questions, whatever it may be at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Also check all my social media accounts on Facebook, the J Reels podcast, Instagram, J Reels, and Twitter, which is J Reels, the number one. I'll be back next week with another podcast. Trying to shoot for Monday, but if not, I'll have it some point next week. But uh, again, if you're uh, in contact with any of my social media accounts, you'll be sure to get an update on there. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless, everybody. For all the Jet and Giant fans out there, best of luck to you guys tonight. And until next time, on the flip, baby.